For this message, we're going to be wading into the deep end of the pool on a difficult topic for Christians and non-Christians alike. But I'm confident that we're adults, or hopefully those who are listening, we are people who are seeking deeper maturity in our faith. And I was encouraged by one of our student leaders who said that we shouldn't uh, shy away from this subject because this will ultimately build up our endurance in faith. So I want to encourage us with this verse from 1 Peter, which says, Therefore, with minds that are fully alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed is coming. Um, however, I love the more literal translation of that, which instead of uh, minds that are fully alert, uh, it's gird up the loins of your mind. Um, I just love that, that very earthy language. And tonight, uh, we are essentially going to gird up the loins of our mind to tackle the topic of a good, loving God in the midst of suffering and evil. Now, I want to fully acknowledge that I can't answer every instance of why did this happen to me, but I can give us a clearer framework and a theology of suffering and who God is in the midst of it. Now, sometimes this gets posed by atheists and Christian friends alike as essentially this, God is all-loving, God is all-powerful. Therefore, there shouldn't be suffering in the world. And often our answers as Christians aren't super helpful or they're incomplete or misguided. Sometimes I hear people say that evil is just the absence of good. So suffering in the world is just where God is absent. Uh, There's a lot I could address in that, such as how, well, the whole book of Job is essentially disproving that Job must have done something wrong or omitted God from his life. Uh, Or we say it's because of Satan. But Satan only has as much power or authority as God gives him. That's a strange thought uh, that we only suffer as much as Satan is allowed by God to make us suffer. So why doesn't God just not let Satan torment us? Sometimes it gets chalked up to free will. You know, people are killed by serial killers who abuse their free will. But that doesn't really account for natural disasters like a tsunami or someone getting struck by lightning. It's pretty hard to avoid all natural disaster. However... It does not answer the primary question. So allow me to give us a helpful framework that will get rid of a lot of the fluff and the noise. So the first thing we have to do is define what is suffering, what is evil. Suffering and evil uh, is simply unfulfilled expectations or desires. So if you have an expectation uh, that you're going to get a new car on your 16th birthday and that doesn't happen, you are going to suffer from that unfulfilled desire or expectation. But if your desire is to live a long, happy life and your town gets wiped out by a tsunami, you are also going to suffer from that unfulfilled desire expectation. See, suffering is subjective to the person experiencing it. One person could pray for water or for rain to water their crops, and when it rains, they're going to be happy. But that same rain can come to a child who wanted to play outside in the sun, and he will suffer. See, it's the same event but different expectations or desires that cause the suffering. Now, Buddhists understand this very well, and their solution, for the most part, similar to Stoics, is, well, to escape suffering by eliminating our wants and desires. Because if you don't have any expectations, well, then you can't be let down. But you also uh, won't have much to look forward to. So here's maybe a better way to sort of logically frame that question of suffering. It's that there is suffering in the world. It's pretty hard to deny that. We start with one, there is suffering in the world, and two, asking, is God able to stop the suffering? And three, is God willing to stop the suffering? Now, I would think almost all of us would believe that God is all-powerful, at least if you call yourself a Christian. 
Or at the very least, the God who created the universe just by speaking, who raised Jesus from the dead and parted the Red Sea, can surely intervene to stop a drunk driver from crashing or halt a tsunami in its tracks. Sometimes God intervenes in ways we see and do not see so that we don't suffer or that we suffer less. I remember going to a conference once uh, and I heard a speaker say that he was no longer convinced that God is all-powerful. It's pretty controversial. To him, it was unthinkable that God would be willing that, uh, that, that God would be willing for any of us to suffer. He just thought it was absolutely absurd saying God uh, wills us to suffer or God is okay with us suffering. And so he was convinced the only possible solution to those questions I pose is, is God willing to stop suffering? Yes. Is he able? According to him, no. I'm convinced that creates a lot of problems, such as when it comes to prayer. Because why pray if God might not be able to answer it? You know, I'm convinced uh, it does not line up with the scriptures. Because Isaiah 45, uh, verses 6 and 7 tells us this. I am the Lord. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. See, God is the source of all good and evil, according to the Bible. And this can be a a difficult thought for us. We are so used to being constantly flooded with the messages of God's love and acceptance Yet we forget that God's love and mercy through Jesus' work on the cross is given to us in light of his holiness. And I understand it's a difficult message, but there are no two ways about this. God is who he is. He is who he claims to be, especially here. You can choose to believe that God is different, but I don't know what you'd base that on if you call yourself a Christian. This is where we often twist and make the Bible say what we want it to say. But scripture is clear that ultimately we suffer or that darkness comes to us or light comes to us as the Lord sees fit. But some may say, especially atheist friends of mine, why worship God? Even if he's real, why would you want to follow and worship a God who would be willing and complicit with your suffering or even cause it? But who is the evil one? And who decides what is good? Who is the judge of all that? Ultimately, it's God. When Job suffers, he asks his wife, shall we accept only the good from God and not the evil? See, there is just an assumption in the Bible, you will face suffering in this life. It may be because you sinned. It may not be. In fact, uh, it's highly unlikely that that's the case based on what Jesus teaches us. In Matthew 5, he teaches us to love our enemies just as God does. Because God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. See, what that means is that God in his wisdom and his timing and his idea of ultimate goodness has given us what we may perceive subjectively as good or bad to our, once again, our subjective experience. Something important to remember is that Job and his friends are confronted by God for claiming that Job must have sinned in a great way for God to have allowed him to suffer. But God corrects them. And ultimately, Job and his friends, uh, they don't get the behind the scenes of what is going on in the spiritual realms to cause his suffering. I want to make sure I clear up something I hear from time to time that you may hear in your own life. It's sometimes called the bell sheep. Um, I heard this from a young woman uh, who was a track star but got injured and lost her scholarship. And this was a girl, I mean, she went to all the Bible studies. She was part of, you know, every youth group thing. She went on all the missions trips, you name it. Yet God allowed this to happen to such an upstanding young woman. And her grandma visited her after a surgery. And when, when asked, why, why is this happening to her? Um, you know, her granddaughter asked her, 
the, the grandma tells this story. When a sheep wanders away from its flock and its shepherd too often, the shepherd sometimes has to break the sheep's leg to stop it from wandering. And then he carries it around and nurses it back to health so that it will always stick close by to his side and will be a guide for the other sheep as well. And they would put a bell around it, hence the bell sheep. And I've heard that story a number of times at different churches. And I've tried to figure out if it's true. And everything I've found is why well, I just can't find a source for it. Like I've never found any source that it's a common practice among shepherds anywhere. In fact, it's harmful theology because now this young woman is being pressed from all sides. That what happened to her, her breaking her leg, is her fault. But your suffering is not necessarily your fault. What, is, what good theology is, is that God suffered. God suffered for no fault of his own in the, in the body of Jesus. But because of our faults and sins, he suffered the cross for us. And he suffered when his friend Lazarus died, even though he could have raised Lazarus from the dead. This was a huge stumbling block for the people of the ancient world. It was unfathomable that any would suffer, especially willingly, uh, for another person or for human beings. Paul kind of talks about this in the book of Romans as well, saying, you know, no one dies for an unrighteous man, although maybe for a good person, someone will dare to die for them. It's just, it was almost unthinkable that someone would suffer on behalf of someone else. Yet that is the truth and the good news of the gospel. Jesus doesn't tell us, blessed are those who rarely suffer. Because, well, they've earned it when they have. And he tells us that blessed are those who mourn instead, for they will be comforted. See, he is well acquainted with our suffering. And it may feel as though God is unjust in what he allows to happen to us. But there is an important Christian doctrine of grace that anything, and I really mean anything, good that we receive from God is a gift. It is not because we deserve it. Because, uh, as the end of Romans 6 says, we only deserve God's wrath. The wages of our sin is death. And if we're not careful, we can get this idea in our heads that we know better than God, that our ways are higher than his, that we are more loving than God. And maybe in your own mind, maybe that's true, but we are not the judge. God is, and he is not held to the standards we put over him. Yet there is hope in the resurrection that there will be no more suffering when the kingdom of God fully comes to fruition. So if God has not yet eliminated suffering, why worship him? But we don't worship God because he seems good to us. We worship him because he is worthy. Now, I remember many moons ago, uh, my wife Gracie and I went to Disneyland and we stumbled on a gospel choir event. And uh, it was really neat. You know, the, all these gospel choirs from around Los Angeles and the greater area were coming and singing. And one woman in particular shared a testimony to introduce a song she wrote. And I will never forget what she said. She said about four years ago, the Lord saw fit that I should suffer a stroke. And uh, I, I don't really remember the details of the rest of the story because I, I had to sit down. I was so blown away just by that opening statement. See, essentially what she's saying is God knew what would happen to her. He was able to do something about it. And he probably did by saving her life. Yet she suffered and had a long recovery process. And she finished by saying that the Lord restored her walking and speaking and singing abilities so that she could praise him, even in the midst of her suffering. She recognized that God is still worthy. Some of you may be familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, who are a great example of this for us. And I want to end with this story. Uh, when the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon, they were forced to bow down to a statue of, of the king. And yet these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, also known as Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, which is their Hebrew names, they refused to bow to the statue of the king. And they were put in front of a blazing furnace, threatened to be burned to death if they didn't worship the idol. Yet this was their response. 
They replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That phrase, but even if he does not, God is still worthy. And he suffers with us. And he's still a healer. He rescued Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and he can deliver you. Yet even if he does not, even if he never answered another prayer of mine again, he'll be no less worthy of worship. God is worthy of praise and worship and blessing because he is, because he exists, because God is who he is. He is worthy despite your circumstances. And something for us to practice through our lives as Christians is to praise God in every season, to contemplate his goodness despite whatever we may be going through.